All right. Um, so you asked me when we just briefly talked about what I want to work on today, and I was thinking about that because I wasn't immediately sure when you asked, um, as I think that I find that uh, the agenda items really result from a process of dialogue between us oftentimes. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's hard for me to answer that question um, before we start. Um, I guess starting by starting is oftentimes the yeah. the way to get to an agenda uh, or sort of that we realized that we were do we had an agenda item that we accomplished as a result of having discussed it. Uh, <laughs> so um, in, in that vein, uh, I guess, I am thinking about our last conversation and um, the ways that you were relating your um, your sense of risk to our construct of working together and how um, – your behavioral profile influences like the, the jobs that we can do together, um, the financial components of the way that we organize ourselves in our business activities, <clears throat> how that relates to your personal life. And I thought about um, what was missing from that conversation had to do with my not knowing of your um, like, like your research or something like that. Um, like what, how, what are you actively using the work environments that we participate in together to help you research in the world? Um, and you know, I, I know that we're doing that. I just don't know. Like, I don't think I've, heard you tell me the story of that. Um, I think I have shared it with you before. Yeah. Maybe just not well articulated. I see. Yeah. I, I think I see myself wanting to So, like, uh, one of the main branches or forks of this research is is CDF. Um, how I want to incorporate that in, in into the research, it, I guess how I would like to exercise or practice that is, like, still in question. Um, so, in a way, like, this work is a way for me to experiment, to, to do that. Um, or it's like to, to discover what the branches off of CDF are. And I think where I've been coming alive most in the work that I've done over the past few years has been at the intersection of work and, and play, or just the tension between work and play. Um, Everything from, like, the attitude of, of an individual and how they show up to work all the way down towards, um, like, what I'll just call playful work, where, like, the actions in which you're taking are uh, – might be considered play, but you, you're getting work done. So it's, yeah, it's, like, either playful work or workful play. Um, and – Kind of another fork of that is is games and gamification and game design as it relates to work. <clears throat> and I think that comes down to things like resource management, um, you know, strategic thinking, decision making, 
and how being a better game designer can help you understand those things and being a better game player can help you with those things and that those um, skills and attributes are helpful when doing your work. Um, I think the other the other aspect of that too is just um, working better together in in teams. So that's like another branch from CDF. Um, you know, sports teams play better if they understand one another better, and therefore I think that's why CDF is it, that's an analog as to why CDF is useful. And I just I want to apply it to work. How all of all of those things are interwoven, I don't know, but I I my I I suspect that they can be interwoven. Mm -hmm. It's just I haven't I haven't experimented enough to find out. It's like they've been they've been silos of my life and interest, and I haven't like they've been going like this, and I haven't started to you know pit them together in a more perpendicular way. <clears throat> right. Yeah, and I, and I guess. Um... And it might not work, <laughs> but like I just don't know yet. And and so just to just to use um, or to invite Nicole's psychological profile into our conversation. In listening to yourself, having just told me the general outline of your research story right now, what would feel like, how would Nicole respond to you telling her about your research story? Well, I, I think she would do it from one of two stances, either a how does that put, like, how does that further or not the aims and objectives, like, of our family? Or if she were speaking from a higher level, it may be something more along the lines of, you know, this this sounds really cool, but I think you would be, you know, like, uh, it would behoove you to, like, enact this, like, sooner rather than later. I think simpler, it's like, um, She would she would instigate me to explore this, but in like a, a maybe a more practical way than I've been speaking about it. She might be like, "Huh, like who is the client and what is the team that you would like to apply this towards? And could you could you is it realistic that you could get them as a client?" Sounds like a good, good uh, jumping off point. Yeah, and maybe those are kind of from the same stance. Um, of kind of like managing or keeping the integrity of the family unit. Um, I was trying to think of like what, what someone from a higher stage from myself would ask me to spur me to further development, but. As, as because I'm unaware of that, I, it's just inaccessible to me. So what it's would like, some, it sounds what, cool, but how do you know? Like how do you know, or how do you know that this will or could work? And what does will work mean? Uh, 
like turn into um, you know turn into consulting business activity, i.e., like working directly with a client and getting paid. Okay. Well, if we were to start answering a question like, who would you enact this with? And how could you really, how could you realistically get them as a client? What would we take away from your research? This is the, this is my problem with the, the paradox of playful work is like if you're like, and this is why I, I'm I'm unsure of the definitions, but it's like if you're playing by definition, you can't be working, and if you're working by definition, you can't be playing because play is defined as a purely recreational activity done for the sake of the activity. Whereas work is towards accomplishing a, a task, towards a goal. And this is where games are most interesting to me because I think they operate most at the intersection between these two things. Because there's many definitions of games, but there's like clear rules and a clear goal um, otherwise, it's not a game. It's just play. But games are also done for enjoyment, and there can, there are often like tangible outcomes of games. So I think what I've what I've kind of done here is created a bit of a synthesis between play and work. And my hypothesis is that the answer is games. Um, but how does this take away from the research? I think it's just um, yeah, I think what I'm trying to manage is like the more client focused I am, maybe the less playful I am. Whereas if it's more researcher, not client facing, the more playful I can be. But again, it's untested. I don't know. Okay, so let's let's zoom in on the complications that arise by being client focused. How does being client focused take away from your research? I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know that it it does. Um, a critical part of game development is play testing, and I can do that with clients, and I think I can do it in a safe enough way. Um, you know, to as so, so as to like not break their business. You know, I'm not. I'm not telling. I'm not saying, hey, install Holacracy, and like this is how you do it. It's like not. It's not as huge as something like that um, because games can serve as interesting proxies for like real world work. It creates this interesting environment where like I don't know that there's any reason for me not to do you know the play testing with the clients. So in a way, they're like necessary for the research. Uh, what what when you say? They are they are necessary for the research. What do you mean? Clients, as as players or play testers. <laughs> nice. And there may be you know non-paying. There may be a few non-paying clients at first. Um, I mean, we ourselves are in a way. We're paying with our time. Um, 
and I'll just like, so maybe with non-paying clients, it's a bit easier. With paying clients, you're somewhat beholden to their goals. Um, and, you know, because it's a transaction, like I would be bending the research towards their needs, not, I would be tempted to bend the research towards their needs, their organizational needs, as opposed to like what, you know, like the game development or scenario planning game development process needs. But I think that's a short-term um, that's a short-term compromise I'm willing to make. Like, I'll still be developing, like, the game development engine. You know, the, the, it's not going to be completely bespoke. And that's a risk. Like, just taking on client project after client project, you're, like, not developing an, asset, an underlying asset or IP that's, you know, generating value or, or wealth, you know, it's either you know, intellectual or financial wealth inside of, the organ of, inside of stimulus. <clears throat> so, um, So on the one side, you have you have risk of not developing underlying IP that generates um, value beyond the time that you're selling to clients. Whereas if you merely sell your time to clients, um, you're beholden to their goals and sacrifice your research, but also the underlying IP. I guess if you just, and if you just focus on the IP, what happens? Well, there's no revenue in, in, you know, the. Uh, so if there's no revenue, if there's no revenue, what happens? Well, then I can no longer justify this, you know, kind of research project and service line. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't justify it, um, you know, given the, the runway in time and money that Nicole and I are kind of allocating to this of, you know, six months or so. Okay, and how does the the risk on either side of this equation relate to CDF? Uh, CDF is well currently um, almost wholly on the research side of the equation, meaning I haven't directly incorporated CDF into client engagements, like just aside from kind of my internalization of it. And so the, the tension for me is to more kind of outwardly, openly integrate the CDF frameworks into the client work. Because right now it's just, you know, backstage or in the background. This is, this, this is also kind of just similar to the tension of, you know, developing the IP and working in the background versus, you know, working directly with clients and getting paid. 
Yeah, and what's transpired over the last six months is I've been very research-focused, not client-work-focused. So it seems like the the two by two here is work and play, research and clients. So like what, you know, what quadrant are we in at a given time? Mm hmm. Okay, um, so cool. Um, that was that was the that was like a good beginning to our time together today. Um, but I don't want to go t too much deeper. In for this moment, because I think that we'll circle, you know, we'll 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 cycle around these topics again, <clears throat> just in another in another um, context. So, yeah. yeah, is there something that you wanna um, do? You wanna switch roles now? Um, do you wanna? Do you want to, yeah, where, where, where's your mind at right now? The question I'm asking myself is, are you and I practicing this kind of dialectical questioning with one another, or are we taking up kind of one of our professional agendas or kind of organizational concerns? in this meeting. I'm, I'm fine with it either, but I think maybe my assumption is that we're kind of practicing this dialectical questioning. And so then maybe I, maybe we can just switch roles and I can do something similar for you. Although we okay. had done a little bit of that last time. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that is a potential approach um, to go into the practice of dialectical questioning. Uh, let's see, an alternative. I mean, yeah, we played, last time we sort of played SPG, um, or we we played the metagame. <laughs> um, yeah. We're generating questions for the SPG. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if, um, yeah, we could, so we could, um, review, critique, and reconstruct. Uh, 
Did we um we didn't record last session, did we? No, I did. Did you not get the link? I created a podcast feed for all of these. Oh, I did. I did. Yes. That's right. Cool. You should be able to just copy and paste that URL, that RSS URL. I no, I saw it now that I now that I remember. So another agenda item. So we could literally like review last S SPG at two X and I also had it transcribed by Otter. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just thinking what um, where, where do we what do we want to take as foreground and background? So do we want to have N and O in the foreground and stimulus in the background, or vice versa? I'm thinking down and out coming. In the foreground, and what would that what would that mean to you? Do we work on noun and outcome versus in stimulus? Yeah, but it could be kind of you taking a slightly more active role. And it, so you already kind of stepped into an active developmental role doing dialectical questioning for an agency mm-hmm. member, myself. Mm-hmm. And we can keep along those lines, but, but kind of pausing here to, to understand how we're kind of keeping that dynamic. But it's like... It, you know, we're we're continuing in noun and outcome, developing its developmental practices like alongside agency partners, and yeah. and and kind of you know what's going to fall out of that is a better SPG. So in other words, we don't really have to worry so much about the what's foreground and what's background as long as we stay aware of the reciprocal nature of how value is being generated between as we switch roles with one another. I think so. Yeah. Like establishing this, that this is a lab where Chad as a member of stimulus has come to work with, get help from coached by Nate as a representative of now and outcome. Uh huh. I guess I'm also looking at it the other way around because what you do by enabling me to coach you is develop the lab methodology and the coaching methodology by which now and outcome services its clients. Um, in addition, today we, up, up to this point, focused less about less on directly delivering a value to stimulus. And in ways I was seeing what I was doing was helping onboard you as a partner in Noun and Outcome based upon your own research. But maybe you don't see it that way. Well, I think we're doing exactly the first. Not, not the second. The the second's a little uh, maybe murkier. 
Yeah. I guess maybe I didn't hear an invitation. <laughs> maybe that's what was missing. To begin with. We just dived in. Yeah. We just dove in. Yeah. Um, right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't make an invitation. Um, well, let me say a bit more about, uh, since it's obscure, the, the non-invitation thing that I did. <laughs> uh, so I, in the, in this like third, in the third move from Mike and I's time together in the car, we really ended up, um, we ended up focusing on sort of the third leg of the noun and outcome stool, which is focused on creating like a self-administered PhD for each one of our members um, own research that the business provides them a research context for. And so the, the clients that Noun and Outcome takes on both the services, the service client, the, the other consultancies that it serves, as well as the highly skilled labor-based businesses are the kind of two research areas or, or like kind of cultural areas that Noun and Outcome members can research themselves within and also research others in within. So um, I've been thinking about that association of researchers as one role that we play um, in this third kind of leg of the stool of down and outcome as a what this guy Joe Edelman calls a turtleocracy. Um, which I don't know, have I shared any of that with you before? Chad, I think you're muted. No. Okay, so this idea of a turtleocracy is a um, – so it's an organizational and decision-making structure uh, that has its alternative to some of these other um, forms of organizing. And the idea is that um, turtles are people who are interested in researching a topic over the long term. And um, are sort of open minded and don't take don't have strong takes where they are sort of limiting the possibilities of their research because they have to be a person with expertise, a person with ideas. Um, rather, they can be a person with strong ideas, but is prepared to slowly experiment with them over the years and even be proven wrong in some cases. So there's a whole sort of meth a self-organizing methodology around a turtleocracy that I think fits really well with the um, – way that noun and outcome can serve the developmental ambitions of its associated members. And that differs from what an outcome, what noun and outcome serves as a um, service methodology to its client partners on either side of the highly skilled labor side of the equation or the, digital first consultancy side of the equation. So that's what I felt that we were doing earlier is that we had, we had sort of without an invitation fallen into that type of um, dialogue in part with one another last week. Well, we had did two things last week, I think, I guess one was we worked on the SPG and the other was we kind of, worked through some of the challenges that you were feeling um, in 
returning back to your New York life and work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think we're still, I think we're still working on our agenda at this point. Um, but now I've talked a lot, so. Well, I, I think you were actually kind of doing both. It's just I didn't understand that the content of what we were talking about kind of had a hidden agenda on your side, which is yeah. you're wanting to help illuminate both for yourself and for me what my – we're like building the – what is my – what is what is what do, what am I as a turtle look mm-hmm. like? Mm-hmm. What am I doing? <laughs> right? Right. What's the path right. that, that me and my turtle shell are going on? Yeah. Um but you were doing it in a way that I was experiencing as like, like, oh, this is like the practice of noun and outcome. Like this is how an agency partner is going to be participating and getting value out of interacting with and working inside of noun and outcome because it was done in a dialectical manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, it's interesting to point out, the ways that um, th- there there's like a common um, second nature to the mode of working in noun and outcome that expresses itself whether I'm helping a, a another associate um, work on their own turtleocracy or um, I'm being helped by an associate like you on noun and outcome, or I am on behalf of noun and outcome providing a service to an agency partner. There is a, there is an underlying um, dialectic that is uh, instigated by this manner of, of listening primarily and then speaking secondarily. So, um, I can see how because of that underlying, uh, nature of the, of, of my communication, it was a bit confusing without an invitation to know what context that we're working in. Yeah. And I, and I don't, we don't have to make too much of it. I just, I'm, I'm calling it out because um, I think maybe we do run the risk of that kind of that processor pattern, like being too subtle or hidden. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Right, right, right. Yeah. And by calling it out, we can sort of make an object of it and then further create it into something that like is, is an object to be worked on and to, um, leverage to generate more organizational value independent of the context that we're. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be sure that we weren't taking it for granted. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks. Um, You know, what strikes me is that we didn't, what we didn't do last time in the, in the SPG. And I think that this is where I want, I want to go. We worked on the SPG, on, on stimulus's SPG. Mm-hmm. We didn't work on noun and outcomes underlying IP. And what you just pointed out to me was that there is an underlying nature to the way that, um, we are learning to, um, work with one another through dialogue. Um, and like, like that learning, like that is, um, more second nature. There is a, there's a set of, <clears throat> there's a set of, um, underlying principles underneath this idea of SPG that make me able to help play stimulus is SPG in a way that helps stimulus create its own game mm-hmm. off of, off of um, 
Noun and Outcomes IP. So that was sort of, that was where my attention went was like, we never had a meeting about that. Um, I just sent you a document and then we like quickly started playing Stimulus's game um, like two or three weeks ago, like, which was, which was that text thread. But, but before the text thread, I wrote this document that had a bunch of like, pr- like principles to it um, mm-hmm. that I think would be useful for us to look at. So that would be out of the agenda items that I can see here um, where I would suggest we focus. Okay. So, um, right. So in the, in the, in this meeting now, like I want to hire you to, um, to be my coach. Can you do that for me? Sure. Okay. Um, now I am opening a file. What is the file named? Is it in this World of Work document? I don't know that it is. This is mostly my words. Yeah, this is the glossary is where mm-hmm. I wanted to work. Okay. So maybe you want to drive the screen now. Is this, do you want to work in Rome or is this, have, have you translated this into Rome yet? I haven't. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out my Rome workflow. I think what I, I, know. <laughs> I, I think what I'm going to try and do is just kind of, as I go back through and process this document again this week is kind of atomize it. Right. In Rome. Because, like, where I get stuck is, like, you can clearly see that I'm, like, treating this like I'm going to publish it, but, like, it's nowhere near, like, <laughs> in that state. Right. So I just, yeah, I just need to, like, go back to its component parts, and then I can, I, I can, I can, um, I can put it together and build, build cool. the Ultron. Um, cool. And it'll help me focus that way, too. Yeah. All right. So... I'm not sure this is the right document for us to really be working in, but um, since World of Work is Stimulus's version of the SPG, um, well, let me just um, just kind of bring it over into one. Man, I, no, there was another document. This isn't. If you yeah, if you take that into room, I'm gonna find this other document. This is what I, this is what you sent me first. SPG glossary? Yeah, yeah, this is the one. This is what I, this is what I want us to work on. Okay. So this differential process development, this is kind of the meta process in which we were talking about. Right. Yes, 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 yes. 
So, so I think, I think the dividing line here <clears throat> is, um, you, you're, you're building a, um, a narrative based role play game mm-hmm. called World of Work. And the, in order for, in order for the overall strategy of games to be, um, productized in to yield data so that that data can be translated into a digital game and that digital game can feed data into predictive modeling for buying out businesses. We need a um, turn. We, we need like a, a, um, we need like a more of a Euro game. A more like mechanical, yeah. A, a more, yeah. And so the dialectic is between stimulus's role-based avatar, or role-based narrative play game and the tabletop version. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you call it? Sorry. I missed. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, just a quick an, a quick aside into kind of um, game definitions. They can kind of be thought to operate on three different spectrums. There's the simulation. Hold on, before you do this, before you do this, um, let me. Um, so, what do we call this game design? I'm just t- I'm just going going to get into um, Rome real quick. Sure, me Yeah. Okay, so you're, you were you were going on to say that there are three definitions of game de- game designs. Yeah, or there there's three um, spectrums. Okay. So there's um, there's simulationist. Uh-huh. There's gameist, and there's narrativist. I bring this up because I'm hearing you describe a need for more game and more simulation in Noun and Outcomes version of the game, whereas you're understanding World of Work as a narrativist first with some aspect of of game and simulation. Again, it's a spectrum, but I just I wanted to give us a shared um, lexicon. Oh man, yeah, that's that's sick. Really, really, what I would like to do is I'll have the IP developed like uh, to the point that noun and outcome can help an agency like Stimulus design game games within any one of these paradigm or any one of these spectrums. <clears throat> So, so like right now, like towards any industry and any kind of like organizational need, like ideally. Right. That's right. So like that's like my holy grail is like if I can create games to to do to quote unquote do business, like I fucking I want. You won. (laughs) You won the game. (laughs) Okay, dude. What's the name of the um? So, the narrativist. A pro, what do we call these? Spectrums? I don't think it's spectrums is the right word. Um, oh, are, are, you a, re, are you referencing a, a, something in your mind, like a resource that's outside of yes. your memory? Yes. Yes. I learned this. From, I, I need to go back to the source. Um, I, took a, I took a role-playing game design course, and it it's from that. This is like in broader kind of tabletop gaming theory, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I can I can go to the sources on this. So this would be like just to put a um, bookmark 
These are like attributes of games. Attributes of games, yeah. So, so delineating, like turning these three attributes into a dialectical knot, I think is part of what I view as your research. Mm-hmm. Meaning like what makes it simulationist and what is, what is it not and what is gameist and what is it not? And how is it interrelated to the others? Mm-hmm. And how does how, it? Yeah, that's and, right. And, yeah, and how is the experience different within each? And how is kind of like what is it better or worse suited for in terms of like what the game is doing or what it's pointed at? Yeah. Well, you know, there, if if you you could talk about those three things logically from one another, right? But like. What you're saying is that they're inherently un, um, they're inherently related, mm-hmm. and like if you were to incorporate process thinking into the inherent relationships between these three different attributes, what would result is not just like contextual ways of being able to reconfigure games, but the way that games can actually lead to transformation potential within the social reality which that game is being played within. Mm-hmm. So. That, and that, I think it like it has to happen across all three. Right. Right. Yep. <clears throat> okay. Um, very cool. So let's go back to. Um, so I'm. So do you hear me making a delineation between um, the narrativist and the gamist? attribute in order to create the simulation approach? I was just simply hearing you describe the noun and outcome game or metagame as as more simulationist and more gamist than how I've conceived of World of Work. So, for example, Euro games are like 80% gamist, and then the rest is split between simulationist and, and narrativist. So, like, I, I did find, find the resource. I can share it with you a bit later. But my understanding is that at, like the gamist aspect shows up in the, like, worker placement, gaining of resources, engine building, the economy, actually, no, the, the economy to, to some degree is, is still gamist. The simulationist aspect is more about trying to recreate the real world inside of the game and having game mechanics mirror kind of the real world of which it's being like represented by. Whereas narrativist is, is more... Um, it's more story based where the act of play is more evocative of story as in stories coming out of the game or you're playing the game like through inheriting these roles or speaking like a character, et cetera, like generating like a story or a narrative in it. So like while a game can have a premise many games don't tell a story. So the premise of Settlers of Catan is like you're settling an island and the only story that's being told is like, huh, that city's growing or I just got robbed. Like that's as far as the narrativist angle goes. Risk like goes a little further in that it's like, oh no, like Argentina just conquered Chile and now they're going for Venezuela or whatever. Um, that, you know, the kind of campaign that these armies wage is, like, in, is, is a slightly bigger story than what's told in a game like Settlers of Catan. 
but like it doesn't go as far as like Dungeons and Dragons, where like we meet in a tavern and we go and we slay a dragon. Like that's super narrativist, but it also incorporates gameist elements because you roll dice to figure out what happens, and it's also simulationist. And then it's like, well, a battle axe does more damage than a dagger, which mirrors what you know what it is like in real life. And I'm trying to understand if these really only apply in kind of tabletop games or or if they go beyond. Um, like I'm specifically thinking about sports, um, but that might just be something altogether. Well, I think sports are like simulations broadcasters are like narrativists and players relate like tabletops. Yeah. Like I'm just thinking they're of the, they're the ones that are like subject to the rules. Like the game like the game is part is like, well what are the rules and what can I do and what can I not do? You know, I, I was just thinking of one of the reasons from using your frames that the Michael Jordan documentary is so illuminating and interesting is because he's, he's like a player, you know, he's, he, you're, you're, you're getting to see how he relates to the narrativist as, at, at, right. He's just like, I, I wanted to be the best player that ever lived and that and his actions were solely devoted to that. Yeah. So but how in, how can he be a dick? How can he be a whatever a bad teammate? Because he's like, no, you don't understand. I was just trying to be the best player <laughs> that ever lived. But it's so funny to see him still in that role in a lot of ways. Like that's how he relates to the historical narrative. Well, because he because he was a player, like he didn't create it. Like you said, it's like the broadcasters and the writers and the journalists and the fans, you know, putting all their hopes and dreams on this, onto him. Yeah, I mean, just I, I'm, I'm noting this just for myself. Um, like there, there have been studies around the eight types of enjoyment that players receive when playing games. There's like a whole... Uh, research body around that. But again, that's something um, is I'm trying to better kind of codify games. You know, I'm just like, this could be extremely relevant, like in the same way that you build a developmental profile, like what is their gamer profile? Yes, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> so bad. Yeah. Uh, to support the linkages between CDF and uh, a the eight types of gamer profiles <clears throat> or the eight types of enjoyment the gamers benefit from when playing. I just started reading this book uh, by James Hillman uh, called The soul, the, uh, the soul's code in search of character and calling. And I think, um, he does an excellent synthesis in the section that I'm reading right now around motivational theory. And he talks about, um, motivational theory, for example, being different between like a psychodynamic view and an analytic psychology view. And so how I think that there is a really interesting parallel to create between what we understand is the CDF profile whose behavioral components are, are based upon a psychologist with a, um, at least hidden to me right now, uh, motivational theory embedded in that. And if you change the motivational theory, how does the kind of types of enjoyment change, but then how does also 
the developmental profile change potentially in the way that we understand it inside of CDF. So I think that there's a, what I'm saying is that there's a linkage between um, the, the motivational theories of the types of enjoyment, the eight types of enjoyment that you're articulating, and then that of um, the, the need press questionnaire. Um, so that might be something that we um, share as a research project going forward. Um, cause I want to understand the other ways of motivation that could reinterpret the developmental profile using Hillman's work as you might be able to reinterpret the way that these eight types of enjoyment relate to motivation and developing a player profile that includes development, um, in it. But again, that's, that's sort of our research. I think that's the, that's like a researchy conversation. Um, yeah, not, oh, cool. Yeah, they're very cool. Oh, this is so badass. And um, here's, the, here's the paper. And here's, here's the video, I'll share it with you out of Zoom as well. This is the video of like, and this is the game design uh, seminar video from the class that I took. Cool. Yeah, what they're doing is like creating a formal approach to game design and game research. Um, so these are this is these are eight this is a these are eight um, motivational types of games. What is this? These are so they frame it as like the aesthetics of games. So like what makes games fun? Well, so like they're trying to, to, to move away from, oh, this game is fun to a more directional vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And this is it. So, so like you could, you could phrase it as, as like, this game is fun because blank, because uh, it's challenging and because it gets joy in a social framework. Or this game is fun because there's a lot of uncharted territory to discover and um, it's very fantastical, or yeah. So they're 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 creating again. They're giving kind of hard attributes um, to better describe the aesthetics of the game. They have this whole like MDA framework where they talk about the mechanics of the games, the dynamics of the game, and and then the aesthetics of the game. So what is this numbered list? Is the that eight type, a... Eight, yeah. eight types of ways to aesthetically describe the game. It's a taxonomy. It's not, it's not all-encompassing, but these are the eight that they found most useful or helpful. But this is in the aesthetic component, right? Yeah. So like the, in the aesthetics is like the direct experience of the players. The mechanics is like what the designers have put into the game. And then the dynamics is what sits in the middle that is like the interplay between the mechanics that generates the aesthetics and the reaction of the players based on aesthetics that go back into the game through the dynamics, you know, in, into the mechanics. So it's kind of like a, I don't know, like a sideways hourglass, you know, um, Dude, you're, this is amazing. <laughs> you're, you've got so, you've, 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 um, you're really blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's just keep going. <laughs> okay, I want to hire you 
right now to help me um, understand the principles from the point of view of the three attributes and the MDA framework as you understand it. You want me to help you better describe noun and outcomes game in these using these terms? Yes. Okay. All right. So You know what? Yeah, so oh, oh, you know what? Let's um, let's cut that. Let's cut right now on this on this um, video and start a new video. And 